Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. What is going on, my beautiful people? We are live, and this time we're going live with Gabe Sanchez. He is a freaking badass, works on any and every music video that you can think of. He's done them all, and he's worked with so many different artists. He also does commercials. He's based out of LA, and his handle is Gabe underscore JL underscore Sanchez. So go give him a follow, and he's live. He's super punctual, so love him for that. And I'm bringing him on. Let's do this thing. Love to have you, brother. I'm so freaking pumped. My wife was like, just, she's like, I can't find a single picture of Gabe on his page. I'm like, I know. I'm like, some people are just crazy. They only <laughs> post their work and they never put their face there. And then it's like impossible when you're trying to build a story. I'm like, what does Gabe look like? I mean, I think I have an oh. imagination, like what Co told me about Gabe, like, but I don't know, you know, it's a mystery. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's calling you Keanu Reeves. So that's awesome. Okay, super excited, super excited to have you on, brother. Why don't you just give us a quick lowdown because I have so many questions and we wanna get into so many things that we're gonna keep the origin story like bullet points, but like, take it away. Uh, all right, well, I started at a um, broadcast TV studio in college in Florida and really got into switchboard operating and editorial and stuff like that. And okay. my brother lived, here in LA and I wanted to come be closer with them. And so I, I moved out here wanting to be an editor. And then I worked on some sets, like just for free to try to get my name out there, try to find some work. And I eventually, my brother hooked me up with a contact at a place called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing like working in the vault there. And then I became like an online editor eventually and was doing like work on a smoke, Autodesk smoke uh, mm -hmm. box, mm -hmm. just like VFX pipeline stuff. And did that for a really long time until someone asked me if I'd be interested in coloring a black and white short film. I was like, all right, I think I could do that. And then I was like, dang, I really like this. I want to try like coloring a regular color film. Yeah, that's and sick. It just took off from there, it snowballed. Dude, it's crazy. And then you worked at A52? Yeah, A52 is part of Rock, Paper, Scissors. Yeah, that's big, dude. That's amazing. So what systems are they on? Are they Resolve or Baselight? They are Baselight, but they were Luster for a long time. Yeah, I mean, is Luster still around? Is it going to be around? I think so. Um, they are starting to have a lot of uh color and flame which is kind of like a brother program to luster mm -hmm. and uh that's actually what i've been used started using for color and i'm still mostly using it um but yeah their luster still around it's just not as popular as base light or resolve right I, would say. I mean it's like you know their systems are so expensive they're still like stuck in that old school mentality you know like the elitist mentality that you know you want to use our system it's going to cost you this much you know and I feel like flame needs to kind of get off that horse and same thing with luster obviously but like I, I know that Technicolor uses luster so that's really interesting too um you know on Lion King they use luster 
um, another one of those movies they use luster. So it's like, you know, they, it's still like it has, every software has a place, I feel like. So, you know, anytime yeah. people are just like, hey, Kazi, Baselight or Resolve, I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, you know, Company 3 is putting out banger stuff and that's all Resolve. And then, you know, Eric Whip, you know, graded freaking Mad Max and that's Epic and that's Baselight. So it just yeah. depends, right? So have you used Resolve? Uh, yeah, I actually, I got your master class and I actually just colored like one of my first projects in Resolve recently, um, what do you which think? will be coming out in a few days. That's it. It's good, man. It's a big learning curve for me just because it's a lot different um, than Flame, which I'm used to, but it's great. It's, I'm, I'm really excited. Dude, you know, I, I've lost a lot. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, I've lost a lot of work because people were put off that I worked in flame or, no, or color and flame. It's insane, dude. Like, I mean, I have a buddy that works at the mill and he asked, like, he's like, Kazi, I got two spots for you. Like, you know, uh, and everything, like the, the rates and everything is set. And then right when he's getting off the phone, he's like, so you're good, right? I mean, this, this stuff is going to be in base light. I'm like, no. I've never used Baselight. And he's like, well, well, you know, you you know Resolve, you know color grading. So, like, I'll give you the weekend. He's like, I'll give you a weekend. Like, are you going to be ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be ready to go because my answer is always like, yes. So I'm like, hell yeah, I'm jumping on it. Then I get off the phone and I start doing some research for Baselight. I call Baselight and I'm like, guys, how do I get going with your stuff? And they were like, oh, you know, our base package is $60,000, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hold on, what is going on? I'm like... Yeah. Like what? I'm like, okay, I'm not taking this job, you know, but I know exactly what you mean. It's like you kind of have to know all these tools and, you know, uh, we talk about this so much here that being jack of all trade is very important and that doesn't mean that you need to be a director, producer, editor and all those things, but it also means that if you're an editor, then you need to master all the NLEs out there. You know, you need to be great at Final Cut 10. You can't be that guy who just goes, I hate Final Cut 10. I'm not that guy. You know, you just have to get past that. So you need to know Avid, you need to know Final Cut 10. So, you know, good on you, dude. I want to get into Baselight, to be honest with you, talking to Eric and how he was doing, like how he does like his sky replacements and everything without even touching the mouse or something. I'm like, what is this? You're like voodoo mama juju and I need to get on it. Like I need to understand this. And if this tool does that that easily, then I want to learn it, you know, because I'm not a lot of people think that, you know, I'm getting paid by black magic and I'm like, I have no loyalty to black magic. Like, I don't care. Tomorrow I'll move to freaking Final Cut 10. If they come out with some grading tool, that's just badass. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I'm out, <laughs> you know, resolve yeah. on to the next thing. All right, brother, that's that's an amazing story. So so how do you get connected then with all these like, you know, you work with Usher, you work with so many freaking, you know, artists like Post Malone, you work with now recently Snoop Dogg. Like what is happening there? Like, is it also like a snowball effect? Like wh what is going down? Like, you know, how, how do you build those connections? Yeah, actually, um, that's a good question. It really did turn into like a big snowball, you know, like. You work with a couple of people and you build a good relationship with them and they just continue to bring you work and recommend you to other people. And it's really like, you know, can't stress enough how important it is to just be respectful of the work and the relationship and be punctual and reliable. And it goes a really long way. That's insane, dude. I want to ask you this. Like, that's one of the questions that that was asked in our story. Somebody said, What's the hierarchy of collaboration? And I think that's a great question. Like, you know, on films, it's like the DP, the Deacons is sitting by like, you know, Mitch Paulson and he's like driving the thing. So 
here? Is it the artist? Is it the director? Is it the DP? How, how does it go? Mm, that's a good question because sometimes the artists are like co-directing with the director or just completely directing. Right. Um, so it really depends. But normally I work with the director, I would say, more often than the DP. But I do always love when the DP is involved as well. Um, but I've been on like short films where the DP, the director is like, hey, I trust my DP. So, you know, the DP is going to come in and sit with you and y'all are going to color that together. And I don't even don't even worry because they're like moved on to the next project, you know. Right. And then how is the longevity? Like, I feel like if you work with the same directors and the same team, then probably hopefully like after the third project, they're kind of like Gabe got it. You know, he, he gets it. Is, is it that, yeah. is that how it is or are they still like kind of micromanaging? Um, it's more like maybe they want to come and hang out and yeah, exactly. work together on it. Just kind of chill and enjoy the final part of the process. Right. I mean, it's just so rewarding, right? I mean, it's like you're yeah. doing your thing. It's rewarding for, it's such a win-win for both parties. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm doing something and I'm like, you know, the, the instant, instant gratification is so much, but then they're sitting here. Hey, what's up, Matt? And then they're sitting there, they're watching it and they're thinking the same thing. They were like, oh my God, it looks so good. You know, whatever you're doing. So that's, that's my thing that made me want to be a colorist more than an editor or, or even a cinematographer with, because with editing, you just got to let that thing marinate. You just got to live with it, live with it. I take it to bed. I sleep and I think like, you know, and then I wake up and I come up with ideas and then I implement those. Whereas with color grading, it's like, boom, like, let's try this. Let's try that, you know, like create different looks and then see what's cooking from that. I want to ask you, how important is it to have a mentor? So you work with RPS, you work with A52. I'm, I'm sure there was somebody that, you know, you, you were learning from. Was that vital? Is that important? Or can you just in this day and age, like kind of learn on your own? Uh, definitely. It's super important to get some mentorship for sure. Like there are a handful of artists who just helped me so much along the way. You know, I just remember like the first project I was on, I was like begging people to like, just kind of show me some things. Cause yeah. I was like, oh, man, over my head and right. Yeah. It's it's just so important for sure. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I, I couldn't agree more either. And one thing that I shared with people is that I said, like, one of my mentors, you know, I have the rich dad, poor dad story, but like one of my mentors just kind of doubled my rate overnight. Like, I mean, I was just like telling him how much I charge. And he's like, are you kidding? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you should be charging this. And I'm like, but I can't do that to my current like, you know, uh, client. And he's like, no, you can't because they have the budget for it. You're just like, you're just not asking for the right rate. And then the next day I tell them, this is how much I want to charge. And they were like, yeah, you sure about that? I'm like, yeah. They were like, okay, cool. Approved. I'm like, I like looked at my <laughs> wife. I'm like, what just happened? Like what, what just happened? Like, like our lives just changed in a five minute conversation. And that came from my mentor, you know, to just give me that permission uh, to give me the go ahead, you know, the green light. So I think I personally also, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Yeah. You like leveled up just from one five minute conversation. Like it changed know? everything. It changed the trajectory of yeah. like, the whole thing, dude. Um, tell me this, you live in LA, you're LA proper. How important is that to be local as a colorist specifically? Like, is that important or can you be remote and still all fine? It really just depends. Um, the one thing that's kind of tough about remote is like making sure that the person on the other end is 
has the right monitor or, you know. I agree. I think it's kind of, it's been pretty important for me to be in L.A. I don't think if I were still living in uh, where I was living in Florida that I would have been able to take off. I mean, I wouldn't have had like a post-production job period if I didn't move out here. That's crazy. So, okay. But nowadays with all the remote, it, it could, it can definitely be done. You know, don't, to people viewing, don't be discouraged like, oh, if you don't live in LA, you should still, you know, practice and try to get out there for sure. No, it's so crazy, dude, because I'm, I'm like connected with so many people that were in LA and then, you know, once they build, once they establish their base, they moved out to Utah, they moved out to Texas, they moved out to Florida, you know, to save some money on taxes or whatever. And now they got their own thing going on. They're taking the money, funneling it into real estate and thinking about their future. And now they have the same clients because they build that relationship. But I feel like I just couldn't agree more to what you're saying. Like you found the opportunity when you moved here first. So that is important. But somebody who is, you know, who's set on being a colorist and who listens to these things and like is pretty up there, like, you know, up, you know, up and running with the software and everything. I feel like, you know, I always talk about it, Instagram, like these places, right? Like not traditional places. You don't go to careerbuilder.com anymore and look for like cool color grading jobs because it's not happening. And that route yeah. is like, let me start from a receptionist and then move my way up. Well, more power to you if you want to do it. Like, that's just not my cup of tea. I feel like we can be smart about it. I know so many people here that are hitting some serious jackpots right now in this economy, in whatever we're going through right now, because what they're doing is they're just going off of like what I always say, hit up the DPs that you like, hit up the directors that you like, and just reach out to them and be like, hey, dude, I got time in my hands. Like, you know, like quarantine got me like going crazy. I want to work on some projects. Do you got something for me? I'll do it for free. Like nobody's going to say no to you if your work is good, if you come off professional and if you got the talent and then you're offering services for free, you do one free job. And I promise you, nobody is that terrible in in the world that people that are professional that are going to rip you off. Once they see your work, they're going to start paying you. Let's say they pay you half of like what you make. That's OK, because next time they're going to pay you exactly what you're worth. But it's it came that opportunity was made out of thin air. You know what I mean? Because through social media, we don't have a middleman. We don't have a human resources person that I got to hit up for black magic to have me talk to the head honcho or blah, 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 blah. I can just go straight to Jack, you know, like the freaking director of whatever marketing or whatnot and reach out to him directly. And he can go, hey, I've seen your stuff on Instagram. I've seen your stuff on YouTube, dude. We love you, blah, blah, blah. Let's get something going. And I can just go straight to the source. So I feel like I agree with you. It's very important to be in the right place. But at the same time, I feel like that mentality is changing, especially after COVID it might have just yeah. skyrocketed like a mother, right? Because everybody, the, yeah. the mill is like now promoting, you know, hey, we do everything like remote, like, you know, a company three is heavy on, like, you know, we're all remote, blah, blah, blah. All these companies are pushing that agenda because that's a big thing right now. So anybody who had that doubt that I don't know if I can make it because I live in Uganda or I live wherever, well, trust me, you can. Like, trust me, like, you know, you just, just stay focused and stay persistent and just keep doing your thing and you're going to break through. You know, you're going to have that moment where you're just going to have that eureka moment and you're going to flip that whole thing. Yeah. All right, brother, I got to ask you another question. So um, I'm always interested in this. It's an 80-20 rule, right? Like, and I, I break it up into like technical and creative. Like, you know, so if we do an 80-20 rule with you right now, 
when it comes to your technical skills and when it comes to your creative like you know juices like not more than skills like sometimes some people are just more technically driven right like eric whip uh, a mad max guy is more technically driven you know jill bogdanovich you know john wick colorist she's more creatively driven so for you if i do a 80 20 where does it sit? It doesn't need to be 80-20, it could be 60-40, whatever, but like, how do you, how do you scale yourself there? Uh, I would say, I'd say 80-20 is pretty good for me, actually, because I'm not very technical at all. In fact, whenever I have like a technical issue, it's like, I can't work or, you know what I mean? So I would say I'm definitely a creative person and I get super frustrated when I have technical issues. You're driving me I crazy just, by just saying that because when I see your resume like flame and like all the tools that you use, I'm like, what am I hearing right now? But keep talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thankful that I have like some some buddies that I used to work with who are down to like remote in and help me solve issues I might be having with my machine. So yeah. And and like going back to like baselight, it takes like a village to like operate a software like that, you know? Wow. It's like so and I feel the same way about flame too. Like a lot of companies that are flame operating, they have like such an extensive engineering team, you know? But that's kind of what I like about Resolve is that it's very easy to download and you can just jump right in, you know? No annoying subscription stuff you have to deal with or anything. It's just straight to the point. I think they're really trying to, I think when they say that they mean it, that they're trying to democratize that industry, right? Like with the price point and everything. And um, I think that's just the truth. That's what they're doing. And it is like, because it's a $300 software, people get mistaken sometimes. And they're just like, oh, I had some bugs in Resolve. Well, it's only because it's free. It's a freeware. It's a free software. That's why I'm like, trust me, bro, you could be using Flame and it will have 10 billion times more issues. It's just that it has a village. Like you said, it has a huge team behind it, supporting it at all times. So then you just feel like it's bulletproof. Like it's better than, you know, all these other tools. That's not the truth, but I just couldn't agree more with you. And I feel like that's why as much as I do want to jump on Baselight or whatever, my agenda in general is all this like democratizing color grading and this industry and give people the, the mentality of like, hey, don't just think that if you're a filmmaker, you have to like, you know, bunk with your boys like for seven years until you get something going. Like I'm trying to tell people that you can be profitable. You could be making the same money that your brother is making in IT, you know, and like start thinking like that. People need to start thinking like that. Yeah. So then this becomes more fun than, you know, you spend the rest of your life just working on corporate jobs or whatever because you got to pay the bills. So I feel like, you know, I respect resolves like mindset like them selling you a $1,200 camera that shoots in raw and 12-bit images with 13 stops of dynamic range and then it comes with the resolve software are you freaking kidding and then you can pick up the same camera for used on ebay for $800 that still comes with resolve so now you're paying $500 for a 4k you know camera that's capable of putting out hdr images it's like mind-boggling you know um yeah it's I want to jump into, you know, do you use like, are you asked when you're working on projects, these artists are like, hey, make this music video look like The Revenant. Like, are there these references thrown around, like make it look like a movie or make it look like that music video or this music video? Or how does the process go? Yeah, usually I'm sent like reference photos of 
what they want it to look like, the vibe. Maybe for a certain scene, they'll have a still of The Revenant, and then for a different scene, they'll have a still, another scene from The Revenant, or just completely random. So, yeah, it's really, you know, you got to pull those reference stills in, look at your scopes, kind of analyze, figure out what cameras were used, and lighting, see if it's realistic, you know. Sometimes you have to, uh, you know, meet in the middle, because if you try to push something too far, you might <laughs> make it look worse. Right. Are you, that's crazy. Are you, are you sending in lookbooks? Are you, is it like a thing, like where you're kind of giving them four different looks, like, hey, here's my look, here's your look, here's something in between, and here's the one like Rec 709 or like natural look, and then pick one. Is that like a normal process or no? Like now you're just going in with the references. Um, that's a good question. Sometimes if I don't have a lot of direction, you know, sometimes people will just be like, make it look dope and I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll like do a balance pass and I'll just, you know, try out some creative LUTs or try some, adding some contrast, certain colors, push some things, desaturate some things. That's dope, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Are you, and, and how often, how early are you involved in, on a production? Like, you know, for movies, like, you know, some colors are involved really early on. So for music videos, is it like a, last second thing they're just like hey can you grade this in the you know like we have five minutes go ahead grade this real quick how does it go see it is surprisingly a lot like that <laughs> i <laughs> know that's like, hey, are you available tonight and i'm yeah. like what yeah i know that's why i said that it's hilarious yeah but sometimes like recently i just did something where they're like hey we want it to be black and white but we want the uh like the liquid to be a certain color like and they're like hey should we like make the liquid green and i was like thank you for asking yes please do yeah 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 yeah. as long as the environment's not green and it, it worked out you know but yeah sometimes you know when i work with my friends they'll you know get me involved and that's i always appreciate it right right you so know? much work is done just in there you know instead of like we'll we'll do it in post because gabe is gabe can handle it i know uh, do you have yeah. like, you know, because a lot of your looks when I see it, I'm like, man, how is he pulling this? Like, is he like, you know, is it like everything? Is he dropping a film LUT and then working off of that? Then, But then I go through some of your posts and it's like stuff is shot in 16 millimeter, you know, a lot of it too. So I don't know. Are you, is most of it shot that way? Or do you have like certain LUTs and plugins that, you know, you, you, your go-to plugins that you start off with to get that Gabe signature look? Um, I don't have like a specific filter that I like to use, but I do have a Sparks plugin and there's this really cool film effects, uh, one that I use and it does a good job emulating certain film stuff. You can like change the stock and negative and stuff like that and play around with the settings. It's pretty fun. But yeah, a lot of things I get are actually shot on film and so it's not like uh, a really it's not, sometimes I do make Alexa footage look like film and, uh, but use a lot of time I do get to work with film, which is always fun. That's sick, dude. That's so awesome. Are you, are you given a project in premiere and then you are the one who is like conforming everything, onlining everything and then grading, or are you just given a DRP file and then you're, you know, you have everything like in there and then you just get going in resolve? That's a good question. Um, or, I'm it's sorry, always... not in resolve, like baselight, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, normally I receive a pre-conformed ProRes 444 that's flat, which is kind of my preferred method just because it saves a lot of time and the director doesn't have to worry about, oh, like, is there going to be little timing changes that are wrong? Love it. Like that. So that's my preferred method. And usually my clients hook me up with that, which I'm super grateful for. Um, But other times, you know, I have to reconform and and, uh, grade off the raws and rebuild the edit. Um, I never do the workflow where I export out um, shots to be conformed. Like kind of that's a typical commercial workflow and I never work like that, so. No, I'm right there with you, dude. The bacon blade, somebody, Antonio just wrote bacon blade. I mean, that's my preferred method. Like I'm doing mostly short form too. So I'm just always like, guys, please. Like, I mean, it's okay. Just make sure that you don't have any looks applied. Make sure that you online everything in Premiere, whatever you're working on. Now it's like a flip of a switch, you know, like it's just like a little button that in Final Cut 10 or, you know, Premiere Pro or even in Avid that you can just like, you know, flip it and it goes to online footage. It links everything to online. And I'm like, then just send me a ProRes 444XQ. I'll bake and blade it. I'll go from there and everything will be perfect. And if it's a picture lock, then we should be fine. And then I'm going to give you a DRP, meaning like if tomorrow you need to replace some shot or something slip and slide, you can just drop the same effect and it'll be fine. You know, so a lot of the times that works. Some people are super crazy and they don't believe me. They're like, how can you not lose information? And, you know, we just want to give you R3D, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, fine. Like, I don't care. Send me a drive, you know, send send me the drive. Like, it'll be fine. And now I have 1600 drives that I should be selling on eBay because then they never ask them for like, they never ask to get their drives back. And I just have so many drives. My passion for color grading came from my love for troubleshooting. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I went to school, I went to school for network engineering too. So like, I I was like uh, two semesters away um, when I quit. So, I mean, I can still go back and get my degree, but I was really close to getting my degree. And my, so, so that is like in my bones, like I'm very technical, hands-on, I'll get behind the TV and figure it out and like do my research and read 150 page white papers. But then it's really funny because when I talk to people, it's the opposite. I'm never that guy that is reading you white paper because I've read them so much in my entire life that I'm so sick and tired of it. And I'm like, nobody else needs to do that. You know, so I'll just like give it to you like how it is. All right, I wanna jump into people's questions. And this question, let me know if, if something doesn't make sense then we'll figure it out. But he's saying, how do you keep consistency in color while switching between indoor and outdoor? Now, I don't, I don't understand if he means like a oneer that goes from an indoor to out, outdoor, or if he means, you know, the consistency of like where the midtones and everything is supposed to be sitting in indoor and outdoor shots. Like, does that matter in a music video? Um, that's a good question. It, I think it's okay for the indoor and outdoor to be in their own natural environments, you know? I don't, we don't usually have to like, uh, I mean, as long as the look matches, like, you know, it makes sense for it to move to outdoors and it, it feels, feels good. That's all that matters. But for a shot that goes from indoor to outdoor, that's a different story. Uh, those are always difficult. Um, I do a lot of grading in the timeline, so I will duplicate a clip and grade to the first half of the shot and the second half of the shot, and I'll just do a crossfade between them. Love it. If need to, to like adjust 
for exposure or white balance and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I would do like in Resolve, I mean, if you see like you can do a, a same thing, dynamic keyframing, and I will just have like a global adjustment node where I would do the switch, you know, like whether it's like, you know, temp and tint or whatever it is. I try to start very basic, like a global change. And then if I have to get in and tweak it, like we'll do that too. But usually that's what it is. But I think that would be a good topic when I bring in I still have to check who created 1917, but we should bring him on and talk about, hey, man, what what, what was going on? <laughs> like, you know, when you're going from one Dang. environment to another, I don't want to be on that project, dude, even if I'm getting paid a million dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> this is a good one, and that came from my wife. So how do you decide on a look in a world where anything goes? I think that's a pretty good one, right? Because with music videos, I mean, it can be anything. Oh, that is a really good question. Um, uh, usually I will just go in and do a balance pass. I'll see, you know, it really also depends how much time you have. You know, if you only have one night to do something, you don't want to like dig in too deep into a crazy grade. Like you don't want to spend an hour on one shot and then you have like 500 more to go. Right. But you're going to fail if you do that. So. Great advice. I'd say start off with the balance pass, take a look, see, see what happens when you start pushing things where they need to be. And maybe like when you watch the scene, it'll make you feel a certain way. Like what can you do to enhance the vision of the director and DP? Like, are we supposed to feel sad or happy or is it like a thrilling moment? I love it. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's dude. It, Everything is so different. I mean, you know, my recent post, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the caption was like, you know, this one wasn't easy because I started working on the on the shot and I'm like, I can't really do a base pass because it's not translating from shot to shot. So I'm like, what is going on? And it was like, obviously, you know, um, I picked up the phone and called my creative director and we're cool. Like, you know, we're buds. And I called him and I'm like, dude, what is going on with this? And he's like, oh, sorry, dude, Did, like forgot to tell you that this is the footage from like four four years and like all these different cameras. So he's like, it's sort of like a jambalaya that you're working with. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, I can't really do a, a full base pass and like copy paste and then like go and tweak it. I had to pretty much like just grade each shot individually and get it in the ballpark, you know, and then go from there. So I always tell people that guys, it, it's always going to be different. Every project is going to be different. And I think that's what's exciting. And that's what keeps my heart pumping when I'm working on something, because if it's too easy, I'll be yawning and I just, I won't be doing it. You know, it just won't be fun. Totally. Um, so another question that we got is, um, let's look at this. So, you know, somebody's asking, um, how much time do you need to color grade a music video? So is there like a general sense? Oh, that is the million dollar question right there. <laughs> um, hmm. It really just depends. I mean, how many scenes there are, how crazy are we going to get with the grade? Like sometimes I end up having a roto to make things work, you know, and that just takes so much time. So it can be anywhere to from, you know, half day, you know, four hours to, 20 hours or even more. That's so. crazy. That's fast. Um, <laughs> all right. So another question is, um, okay. So I already asked you that. How does the process go with heavy CGI we see in so many music videos? And I'm going to pull up the image here too. I just took a shot of that from your 
So, I mean, is there any CG, CGI going on here? Is, is there like a, you know, background like sky replacement or something happening here? Yeah, so uh, this was a green screen shot right here, but I don't, there was not any CG in this particular shot. Okay. Like that was a pretty cool art design, set design for the car and everything. And Snoop Dogg's looking dope as usual. Uh, I think it was just a little sky comp in the back. I did not personally do any of the VFX on this project, but um, Max Colt did that. That's sick, dude. And it's, it's so stupid yeah. and such a letdown that I'm replaced. Like, you know, it's my face instead of Snoop Dogg's. God, like, <laughs> I wish we were able to move the screen, you know? But I don't know. So is this like a VFX or is it like a CGI or this is also like just a green screen? Uh, I Yeah, that's definitely... It's a mix of CGI and green screen. So that yeah, dinosaur and is not real? No, no <laughs> neither <laughs> is the lightsaber. Um, but, um, you know, this was a project where I started coloring when it was green screen. And then, so we just like set looks and then I received a bake out with all the VFX back in and we just kind of reapplied the grade and adjusted for the VFX. So when they're sending you, uh, are they sending you log then? Like they, they probably have like a Rec 709 so they can see what's going on and they work on it, then they take the LUT off and they send you, or, um, uh, are they sending you log or how's, how's that working? Yes, usually they send it back as log. I think on this shot, I got it back Rec 709, which I was totally fine with because that's basically what we were doing with the green screen grade anyways. Okay. All right. I want to go to this one. This is one of my, like, your, like, I love this shot. I mean, it just, it looks, oh, man. It looks really simple, but I had to dig in and find this because I always loved it when I first saw it. And that was like months ago. But this one has like such a nice, like high key feel, but then everything is there, you know, nothing is blown out or anything like that. So... I mean, kind of take me through the start to finish, like no tree sort of thing. Like, how, how are you building this? I'm just curious. Okay, so the way I like to do it is I like to do a balance pass, and then I have like a look layer on a separate track above the segments of the QuickTime. And so I actually worked on this with my, my good buddy, Eric Rojas, and he was sitting with me, and we just wanted to go with like kind of a pastel -y look but not too flat right. just make it dynamic and uh, they did a really good job designing the set on this one i mean it was so colorful already but we just really um you know made sure set the black levels set the white levels and um you know started pushing some pinks and making sure his skin tone wasn't getting too saturated because we we did put a lot of saturation into this and then you're like, oh, we need to make sure, you know, bring back the skin tones so they're not like too orange or right. overly saturated. I love it, dude. Are you are you doing any vignettes? Are you doing any windows, any rotoing or anything here? Like any qualifiers? Um, yes. I'm using a 3D keyer uh slash qualifier. And um yeah, when I tried to get all of the pink, it was sort of falling into other colors a little bit. So I had to do little um, masks to make sure it didn't affect too many other things, you know? Dude, worth it. It's totally worth it. Yeah. I want to pull this one up too. And, you know, this is, uh, when I think of you, I kind of think of this look and, and it's a very ballsy look. And I want to tell people that because, you know, when you start working off of a log image, like the, the, 
the first reaction is when you do your base, like you just want to kind of pull and push it like as much away from like that log image. But then anytime colorists make that conscious decision to kind of bring it back in close to that log image, which I feel like, you know, Mitch Paulson does a lot, you know, uh, Deacon's um, colorist. And that's why everybody says Deacon's looks are so natural, blah, blah, blah. They're not really natural. They're still really pushed and really crazy but they kind of do live in the middle, right? So they're very close to almost like log. They're only like come up this much, but then they live in that world. And I feel like I'm always a fan of that because it's always, color grading is all about nuances, right? So when I see this, this is so beautiful. And this is just such a crazy, like, you know, where I'm gonna put my black points. And is that something that's happening with like the okay and the blessings of the director? Or is this something, is, that's just your take on it, then you send it off and they go, dude, we love it. This looks like such high fashion, it's amazing. All right, so we're gonna talk about this look, which is pretty amazing. And um, I like to keep the, the visuals that I bring up on Instagram to the minimum, just because then it can't turn into really a podcast because, you know, like all this stuff's gotta go in the podcast because can't, people can't see it, you know, they can only hear it. So that's why I like to keep this to the minimum, but then ask questions and everything that can just turn into a podcast plus podcast, just a little side note. All right, jump into, into it, brother. So this was a really fun project because my original grade was really turbo. Like I went way too far on it and uh, I ended up, yeah, like you're saying, like just blending it back with the original to dial it back, you know, and just let it live where it is. But I actually did do some crazy stuff. I, on this one, I remember I was trying to key the skin tones and then I was trying, I was trying crazy things. This was the first project where I really started experimenting with looks like keying things and inverting mats and stuff and trying different looks. But yeah, I was really happy with how this one turned out. One thing that I was having an issue was the shadows were getting crushed, you know, when I was trying out like different LUTs and things. So yeah, sometimes you just gotta dig in and dial it back a little bit. No, I love it, dude. I mean, it's like my, my saying is that I always say do, do too much, push it as much as you can and then dial it back, dial it back, dial it back. Because if you don't push it all the way, you never know how far it could have gone. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, all of us go too far. Like, think about the Mad Max look, like how far that is. He would have never landed there if he wouldn't have pushed it to a, you know, point of like it looking like a cartoon and then dial it back, dial it back, dial it back where you go. OK, this is the sauce. That's where I want to park. Um, all right. I want to get into the next question. How important are skin tones when you're talking about music videos? Because I feel like people get hung up on this way too much. And I feel like even when we think about movies like John Wick or whatever, if there is a RGB lighting and if there is a green light, that's a key light hitting them, or, you know, then Jill is not worried about like giving them the perfect skin tones like this because it would look stupid. So I feel like people still get hung up on it so much, but like, you know, you should give them the answer. Like when it comes to music videos, how important is it that the music or the skin tones need to look proper and then the look? Um, great question. Um, I think it's important to always respect the artist, you know, who's being portrayed in their project. And I always like make sure that's like a number one for me, for sure. But sometimes, you know, if there is like a red light in the room, it's okay for them to look red. And if there's a blue light, you know, it's natural for this sort of lighting to affect skin tone. So as long as it makes sense, you know, and it doesn't look weird, you know, 
let it be what it is, you know? That, that's a big one. I mean, you're saying it so like it, this is such a nonchalant like, you know, tone like when you say let it, you know, be what it is. That is it. Like that is so big, you know, for people to understand. Like when you're talking about grading a music video in 4 hours or something, that means that you're not working with images like that every image is going to be like fix it in post. That means you're working with pros. Everybody's done their due diligence, you know, brought their 150%. So when you're sitting on the freaking, you know, when you're grading, you're just making sure that you bring that out and it's done. You're not overdoing it. Like so many people are just like, if I'm working with Usher, if I'm working with Snoop Dogg, then I have to be a rocket scientist or else I can't do this. And I feel like yes, skills and your talent and your experience matters but at the same time understanding you know what is required per project that's the most important thing like certain jobs might look like oh man this must have taken you like 7 hours we're going to get him back so I'll keep going certain jobs may look like hey kazi this must have taken you freaking 5 days to do it took me like only 6 hours to do because the dp was on point the set direction was on point and all i had to do was this and that just to get in the ballpark and then go from there So we're going to get him right away and I'm going to be moving on to my next question. Um but guys, thank you so much for everybody to be sticking around. This is amazing. We have so many questions coming in. We have so many questions here that I still got to go through. We have 12 minutes left. So this is going to be a rapid fire round and uh let's just keep going. Let's keep going. We already talked about it, but let's just go through it one more time. So any specific process like you know for me it's like noise reduction got to go in to send the clean feed in so then i can like have the rgb noise out and then i can work on it then at the end i usually apply glow sometimes not all the time but the glow like makes it look like film like it takes out the digital aspect of like the you know footage and then finally i throw a film grain and you saw it in the masterclass too and all the tutorials that i put out so sort of like my go to i add some sharpening those are like my go to nodes that all this go in do you have um some of yours like you know like the 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 gabe sauce that goes in like start to finish and then like you do everything in between that's a good question i feel like i it's very seasonal you know um when i first started grading my thing was to put like a a very slight golden glow on everything love it and that was like my my sauce it was like very minimal but my little signature thing i love it um I don't do that anymore. Uh but I do sometimes depending on the project. I definitely you know, if I want something to look filmic, I got those kind of, you know, setups to sort of help out with stuff like that. I love it. You know, maybe like a little bit of chromatic aberration or, you know, some nice film grain. Right. I mean, those like uh, just it just sets everything apart. You know, you look at it and you're like, "How do you get that?" you know? That's what sets it apart. Yeah. Um I want to ask you okay so any any tips on using qualifiers like do you you mentioned 3D qualifier and that's like something that a lot of people don't experiment with but do you have any tips on denoise and like this and that but like you know you don't have to give me the exact numbers but like just some tips that people can use and apply you know to start using qualifiers Yeah absolutely um let's see definitely denoising first helps a lot uh denoise qualify go too far you know push it to where it starts going to into other you know into the other territory and dial it back and then feather it and see if that works you know if it's really important to feather a little bit sometimes it depends on how how it works um really depends on the image but yes denoise first 
qualify feather. You, I mean, I, I didn't know this going into coloring, but there is a lot of shapes that need to be made to fix qualifiers. You know, there is a lot of like rough rotoling that has to happen to make something look good, you know? That's a million dollar tip right there, what he just said, million dollar tip. I mean, I couldn't agree more um, because yes, like, I mean, you have to, you can't be shy of like, oh, this is not the proper roto. I shouldn't be doing this. Like, no, you gotta go tick, 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 tick. Like, you know, grab this part of the cheek and then just track it. And it's like, these softwares are so good to track, like, you know, uh, 140 frames or whatever so quickly, and then you move on to the next shot. And that is happening. That's happening in movies. That's happening in music videos, commercials. Don't fool yourself. You know, so many people go crazy, right? Like, I mean, on my YouTube videos, they're just like, hey, Kazi, how, yeah. how are you spending this much time and this many nodes? Like, I mean, is this even realistic when you're working on a movie? And then when I talk to Jill, she's like, yeah, this one shot that you're looking at, I had 60 nodes going on. And I'm like, this is your answer, guys. Like, I mean, it just all depends on what it is that we're doing, you know? Um, all right, I want to move on to the next question. The next question is, um, do you have any tips on somebody who wants to start as a colorist for music videos? Like, do you have like a, some sort of a roadmap or you can just tell them that do X, Y, and Z and you can get going? Yeah, definitely. I think the advice you gave earlier was like the perfect advice you know for getting into like working with people but but practice can just continue practicing like making good looks you know don't don't buy into just using LUTs you know it takes a lot of blending you know you know respect the work respect the artist all right so amazing I want to ask you this uh, best resources to develop your eye for color. Is there anything? Is there like a book? Is there like, hey, watch Chernobyl 17 times? Like, is there something to like develop that thing? Oh, man. Uh, it really just takes time and practice, you know? Um, I still feel like I'm learning. I'm still like, I got so far to go to like continue developing my eye, you know? So just keep practicing, keep watching things, you know, study how other people do things. You know, the master class is a great resource for people to learn how to, you know, do balancing and correction and then grading. It's, you know, it just takes time. I love it, dude. I love it for that plug. And yes, it is true. Um, what what do you got going on in terms of like a monitor or something? Do you do you have like a Flanders or something that you're using, or are you using an OLED? I have a uh, reference OLED for, for like the clients. Okay. But my like color calibrated scientific monitor is a Flanders DM two forty. Used to own. And that. I highly recommend that one. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I That's love it. Really good. Yeah, I know. I used to have it. I loved it. I mean, I just got rid of it for one reason, and that was like it was driving me crazy with the LCD, you know? Like, I mean, the contrast is just never going to be the same. So with my OLED, like how yeah. I was seeing, like when my blacks went pure black, I can see it right there. It was just like black and white, black and white. It was like what I see is what I get. And it just got to a point where I'm just like, I am okay with losing you know, 10% of color accuracy for this contrast. That's just me. And probably some, 
you know, color nerds out there would want to bury me right now when I these, you know, words leave my mouth, but I don't care, you know, so, you know, like even uh, Matt Osborne, not this Matt Osborne that works at the mill, but the other Matt Osborne, like, I mean, he grades so much stuff for Hulu and um, he's using C9, LG C9, you know, that's his main monitor. It's calibrated. It has a LUT box, like, you know, where he, he can like lock it in and get the right colors. Um, but he's using that, you know, for HDR work and it's approved by Hulu. It's approved by Netflix. So that's one of those things that I tell people that guys, you know, if, if you can't afford a $5,000 monitor, like the DM240, it's an amazing monitor, but if you can't afford that, it's okay to get a use like, you know, LG B6 or like C6 or something like that and save yourself tons of money and still be able to get really close to what's been going on out there, you know, because ultimately it's not going to be about which monitor you use, which panel you have. I mean, some people can say that that matters, but at the end of the day, what's going to matter is your work, you know, and, and your uh, communication skills and all that stuff, you know, so it's going to come down to that. Gabe, I just want to say I love you. Thank you so much for coming on, man. And you're so generous with your knowledge, everything that you shared. Dude, I respect you so much. And uh, your work is unbelievable. It's so freaking good. You're so humble. Dude, you're one of a kind. Love you, man. Talk to you soon. And guys, go give him a follow right now. Gabe underscore JL underscore Sanchez. The dude is real. His work is amazing. You need to see every single post that he puts out because it's just fire. On that note, thank you so much for everybody joining us today. This is going to be going on my IGTV so you guys can watch it again. Love you all. Until next time. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode.